Thank you. Over to you, Anthony. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Sarah. And thank you, everyone, for joining me on what is a very topical uh, subject for discussion at the moment and certainly a subject that's popping up in a number of the organisations that we work in uh, quite often. A lot of discussion around things like uh, should we be measuring TRIFA? Is there a harm the right focus? Uh, and a lot of conversation around the drawbacks and, and the issues surrounding a lead indicator focus on safety. However, a lot of organisations really struggling to grapple with what to replace that with. So the purpose of today is to unpack lead and lag indicators, talk about what uh, talk about different ways to consider measuring safety performance uh, and, and to really think about what uh, how we can begin those conversations and a process of refining those metrics within our organisations. Uh, uh, Sarah's done the kind introduction to me. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Centres as an organisation, we've been around for going on 20 years now and our mission is to change the lives of individuals and organisations for the better every day. Uh, Myself and many of my team uh, have a background in psychology. So a big part of our focus in improving safety cultures is to, uh, as Sarah mentioned, create organisational conditions which enable people to make the best possible choices to get themselves home safe to things, people and places that matter most to them. We're going to tackle today's fairly meaty topic in four steps. We're firstly going to have a look at, well, what is a what is a lead and lag indicator? We'll do an overview of that. We're going to look at the current challenges attached to each. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about what good looks like and then give you some considerations on where to start in measuring, oh, in where to start this conversation in your organisation or, or how to continue to shape it if you've already started that conversation. I'm going to kick off uh, this session with a question for you. So I invite anyone who's open to, to, to jump into the chat box and I'd invite you to put down, how does your organisation measure safety success? So, uh, you know, if there was a number or a metric or a couple of numbers or metrics, which the organisation would typically say, yes, we're winning in safety or no, we're not winning in safety, which is the one which, uh, where do you get most of the focus? So I invite you to pop into the chat. Where does your organisation focus? So we've got one, uh, number of lost time injuries monthly. Uh, all based around what is required in tenders, LTIFR, employee competency, no LTIs, injury frequency rate, injury frequency rate, uh, hazard reporting, the usual TRIFA, happy staff. Okay, so some, some really good um, information coming through here. Uh, engagement at toolboxes, uh, not measurable, it is measurable. Uh, maybe we need to catch up and have a chat about that one, Ivan. Uh, Triffa, Triffa, Hypo, Near Miss, okay. Yep, so a lot of, lot of lag indicators with a, with a little bit of lead indicator stuff in there. So we've got an annual survey in here as well. Uh, Triffa, uh, closure of priority actions related to critical risk and safety walks, Hypo. Yep, okay, so excellent. Okay, so they keep rolling in. So a lot of uh, really interesting information there. Um, we'll, we'll actually add, um, some of this de-identified information to our, uh, our own database because we've run this process a few times and we tend to find that uh, the way that organisations measure safety success are clumped into the areas on the pie chart here. So uh, far and above incident rates uh, are, the, are the ones that seem to get the most focus and the most priority uh, followed, by, uh, followed by things like 
some of the lead indicators, which are often difficult to define for people, audit results, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, but a huge focus predominantly on those lag indicators. Another quick poll I'll ask Sarah to jump up on the uh, webinar. How much focus does your organization put on lead indicators? So got a lot of lag indicator stuff come through, uh, but how much focus does your organization put on lead indicators? None, some, quite a bit, or it is our key focus. Curious to hear your feedback. I'll share what our previous results have come through as, as well. How are we going there, Sarah? Um, yeah, nearly there. Great. Just a few more seconds. Excellent. Okay. I'm sharing it. Okay, so we've got none at about 12%, some at 58%, quite a lot at 12%, and it's our key focus at 9%. Jeevers, that is very, very interesting and actually very, very close to the data we've collected today. So we've got uh, none at about 14%, some at 50%, quite a lot at 29 and 7% uh, as our key focus. So eerily similar results there. So this, uh, this is telling us that this is an, an issue across a number of different industries when it comes to um, effectively managing safety. So this topic, when I actually uh, decided we were going to run a webinar on this, I had a bunch of colleagues and people say, oh, do you really want to go there? Uh, do you really want to open up this can of worms? Because there are such strong opinions and strong beliefs around things like zero harm, lead and lag indicators, uh, and people become uh, you know, nearly on bordering on aggressive, particularly when we talk about topics like zero harm and is that the right thing to focus on or not? At Centus, we really try and take a very pragmatic approach to, uh, to understanding what needs to be measured. And, and as we're going to explore as we go through this, any metric that you put into an organisation has the potential for positive and negative consequences, depending on how they're interpreted, how they're focused on, how they're rewarded and recognised and where you are in terms of maturity. So we'll, we'll kick off by tackling the idea of zero harm. And is zero harm inherently bad? Well, I'm going to start by suggesting that in fact, when Zero Harm first came out, the intent and, and some of its initial effects were probably really positive within, within industry. It was, uh, it was a, I guess, adopted by a number of organisations to basically say, we're not going to tolerate factoring in fatalities into our operations. We're going to make deliberate steps to make sure that, that people don't get hurt. So I think there's been some really positive uh, focuses and, and, and the, the tolerance of safety injuries and fatalities have certainly shifted and, and obviously legislation and things has impacted on that, but the zero harm focus, I think was rolled out initially with a, you know, a very strong and positive intent. Unfortunately, what's happened over time due to how we reward and recognize things, how we win work through tenders. And I think someone put that up there earlier that LTIFR is one of the key metrics uh, that helps them in tendering. Uh, it's often what boards will look at to, to determine whether we're winning or losing around safety. There's a lot of motivation to actually uh, fudge the numbers. Uh, there's, a lot of no, there's a lot of motivation that gets trickled through the organisation to under-report and, and to uh, manage incidents in a way that, that reduces the outcomes. So I think for a lot of organisations where they're currently at in their journey from what we're seeing at the moment is 
zero probably isn't getting them the desired result in terms of focus and and driving the right sorts of behaviors within organizations however they're struggling to know what to replace it with um, the other aspect that we tend to find from a psychology perspective is you're kind of focusing people on an absence of something and what you don't want as opposed to what you do want and what we know from a from a psychology perspective and, and from a motivational perspective is to, to give clear and tangible focuses for people, give people something positive that they can engage with and, and focus on really helps to, to drive uh, and motivate people towards those things. So saying to people, just don't get hurt, um, doesn't actually give people tangible actions they can take necessarily not to get hurt. Uh, and also focusing on what you don't want as opposed to what you do want becomes part of the challenge as well. And you know, we'll all remember probably learning to drive the car and our mother or father was saying, don't hit the gutter, don't hit the gutter. That becomes the focus and that inevitably uh, seems to be what happens when we hit the gutter. So uh, from a psychology perspective, we'd probably argue that focusing on what we want people to do as opposed to uh, in terms of some practical, tangible things, as opposed to the avoidance of something is probably better, better focus. Um, the, the other challenge with zero harm is there's a danger of reinforcing uh, a focus on the negative, especially if it's tied to reward and recognition programs. So if we are tying people's, um, if there's monetary award, rewards tied to lost time injury frequency rates, well, that will drive people to perhaps not, not report, not be transparent, not give the information that's required to proactively manage safety. Uh, another challenge is how do you keep people motivated after an incident? So we've said to people, all right, if we can go 100 days, Trip for free, we'll give everyone a Waco fridge freezer. We have that incident on day number 50, you know, you, you kind of resetting. And then lastly, using lag indicators as a as an external benchmark. So with the boards I'm chatting to at the moment, they're saying we, we can't possibly move away um, from lag indicators and, and having lost time injury or total recordable injury frequency rates as our key safety metric, because that's what we benchmark ourselves in industry against. I guess a word of warning there is that just because you might have a triffer of six and someone else has a triffer of 12, doesn't actually mean that one is any more safe uh, than the other. A lot of those uh, metrics can be influenced by how incidents and injuries are managed and reported. We all know the different things, levers that can be pulled to create more positive triffer outcomes that perhaps aren't completely reflective of performance. So I, I think using triffer as a, as an industry benchmark is it's fraught with issues. I think perhaps looking at it for yourself uh, and making sure you've got consistent reporting patterns may be okay, but as an industry benchmark, it's, it's really tricky. The other aspect of this is just because you've got a, a triffer of zero doesn't mean you're actually running a safe organization. It doesn't mean that if you do have a significant injury on site and you're, you're required to stand up in a court of law, um, I'm not a lawyer, but my understanding is just being able to say, well, we've had a triffer of zero for the last X amount of time. Uh, so we're safe. I, that's not necessarily a typically legal, legally defensible position. So zero itself does not necessarily mean safe and, and as a benchmarking tool can, can sometimes be quite challenging. So to sort of roll this up a little bit more, um, you know, again, lag indicators, in our perspective, possibly were a positive, but they've often led to some more negative outcomes in organizations at the moment. They tend to be focused on the absence of bad, 
Um, they're often qualitative and lack context. So we don't necessarily get a good story out of that lag data. We just look at the number. We don't seek to necessarily understand deeper more often. Um, we can often mistake past performance for the predictor of future performance. Uh, we can set targets for lag indicators and then we incentivize around those and that can, that can trigger gaming. What we see in organizations is that we see a challenge that trickles from the board all the way to the floor uh, because the board will look at a TRIFA rate, for example, and say, well, it's, it's plateaued or it's up or it's down. And there will often be a, a, a drive to reduce that, that one focus without necessarily understanding sometimes the nature of those incidents, the potential. We're, we're going to talk about how to get more out of leg indicators in just a moment. So what that can mean is because of that obsessional focus on, on TRIFL when it comes to safety or lost time injury frequency rates, there can sometimes be a disconnect between the business strategy and safety. They can create cynicism in the workforce because they get a, there's a sense that uh, we, the organisation only cares um, when something goes wrong with safety. It can lead to a negative safety culture because we lose sight of the vision and just focus on a number. It can drive under-reporting reduce discretionary effort and failure to learn from mistakes because that trust culture can be eroded because we're, we're just looking at that one number sometimes and, and not necessarily digging deeper. That being said, we're going to argue that we shouldn't, that we shouldn't disregard lead metrics as a whole because we do believe that they, pay, they can play uh, an important role if used and interpreted uh, effectively. They can help with, uh, again, internal benchmarking. They can help us to uh, tell a story around different aspects of safety. Uh, but what we would be really challenging organisations to consider is, uh, is the way we're looking at those lag indicators helpful to create a story? Um, and this comes into this next slide. What we'd suggest is benchmarking externally isn't useful, but looking at lag indicators in terms of uh, how do they help us solve a problem? How do they help us gather more information? How do we learn from this in a way uh, that's going to improve our safety and the performance? That's where they can potentially be quite useful and quite useful, quite useful for actually determining what future uh, lead indicators uh, may need to be put into place. So uh, some of the lag indicators in action piece that we'd be challenging to think about is, first of all, what does the story tell us? How can we use the information to manage future risk? How are lessons learned and communicated? What opportunities are there to solve problems with the workforce? And how do, how do, how do we build lead indicators out of these lag indicators? So I'll give you an example of, of how this might play out. So one organization we were working with uh, recently, uh, their lost time injury frequency rate was fairly static at let's say 15, uh, 15 uh, rolling lost time injuries uh, per year. They, uh, the board looked at these lost time injuries and they said, oh, that number's been pretty static now for about a year and a half, two years. That's not good enough. We need to drive different outcomes. We need to drive different actions throughout the organisation. And, and that, was, that was a focus. So there was a mad scurry to say, all right, well, how do we reduce these, these, these incidents? So they came and had a chat to us. The, incident, the interesting thing is if you looked at those incidents over a period of time, although they, must, they were fairly... Uh, consistent from a from a from a number perspective, when you actually looked at things like, well, what were the actual consequences of those incidents, and what was the potential of those incidents, it told a really interesting kind of story. What it identified is that 
if you just looked at severity, uh, there were some there were some changes in severity. What we also were able to identify is there was a lot more reporting. Reporting had increased by nearly 50% across the organisation. So they were getting a lot more data in and a lot more incidents and near misses actually uh, reported. What was also identified is that there was a lot big focus on uh, severity and actual outcomes, but not a lot of focus on the potential of those incidents. So what I mean by potential is if we looked at those 15 incidents, I think out of all of them, um, uh, I think 14 of the 15 were sprains and strains and the other one was a, was a car accident. But if you looked at those sprains and strains, um, actually some of the one, uh, the, the, there wasn't a lot of focus on the potential of those incidents. And if you, you looked back over two or three years worth of data, you could, you could look at those incidents and see, all right, well, sprains and strains are a consistent theme. So one, we need to potentially focus more specifically on that. But the nature of those sprains and strains varied in terms of what potentially could have happened. So the, the data under TRIFA and has been reported to, to the board, a rolled ankle and a gutter was getting treated the same as perhaps falling off a ladder, um, where the potential of that incident was very, very different. So what, what that organisation was able to do was able to unpack um, using a potential model that we supported them with, uh, what was the potential of those incidents, which ones had this the, a SIF potential, so a serious injury or fatality potential, and what were the circumstances in which those incidents took place and what commonalities could we find in terms of weak signals or lead indicators. So those weak signals or lead indicators actually can now get flipped over into positive, positive actions that the organisation can drive, whether it's around supervision or communication, a range of those different things that came out of play. So the challenge in that instance wasn't necessarily that collecting and reporting on lag data was a problem. It was that the lag data was, you know, was looking at as a single point as opposed to digging into that information and saying, well, what story does this tell us which could inform future positive action? So what we would suggest is if, if a lag indicator only tells part of the picture, what do we need to see the full picture? So we'd be suggesting that focusing on lead inputs uh, or lead indicators helps us to get a more complete vision of what's ha actually happening within the organisation. And that enables us to take uh, more positive actions uh, within an uh, to, to drive positive safety outcomes. So there's been lots of discussion in this session today and in lots of previous sessions about the importance of focusing on on those lead indicators. However, if there's so much importance focused on lead indicators, why don't we have a, an established set of lead indicators and, and why aren't more people doing this? And as we, as we saw in the graphs earlier, it's not a big part of the conversation for a number of organisations. Big, the big challenges we see coming up often is that it's difficult to necessarily prove a connection between a lead indicator and a lag indicator. So we'll have an organisation uh, say roll out uh, you know, a, a positive leadership engagement piece where leaders are engaged to go out and have safety conversations in field because uh, perceptions and supervision have been identified as one of the weak signals that, that led to some serious injury uh, events um, potentially taking place. An organisation might get an uptick um, in their safety performance, but then, you know, is it because of that supervision or is it because of something else that took place. So we can sometimes get bogged because, you know, 
correlation doesn't necessarily always mean causation. And sometimes you're actually hypothesizing, all right, well, if we do this, it's going to have this outcome. So organizations get quite bogged in, in rolling those things out and measuring them. That, that also being said, organizations often then get stuck on the measuring component of this. So how do we measure that? You know, we can measure an incident taking place. How do we actually measure the positive things that we put into place? The other big component here is that lead metrics may look different depending on organizations' work, their strategy, their risk profile, and their stage and maturity model. So uh, we wouldn't recommend the same sorts of lead indicators for an organization that is in what we would call citizenship. That's an organization that's very engaged and connected and committed to safety. Uh, we'd, they'd be very different lead indicators than an organization which is in counterproductive, where they're really struggling to get their safety culture moving. That's some of the struggles with it. But that being said, uh, we wanted to share with you some, some of the basics to consider at lead indicators to hopefully help you to start to unravel these conversations within your organizations. So firstly, we're going to have a bit of a chat about this idea of what is a lead indicator? Because organizations will get stuck in this space of, well, it, if we've reported something after it's happened, even if it's supposed to be a lead indicator, isn't it actually a lead indi lag indicator? Uh, you know, so if we're reporting uh, how many infield interactions we're having after we've had them, is it a lead or is it a lag? So people really tie themselves in knots. Um, so to really simplify this, what we'd encourage you to think about is instead of focusing on maybe lean lag indicators, maybe focus on positive versus negative. And, and what we mean by that is, Positive indicators would be things that we want to see go up. We want to see more of this thing. And negative would be the things that we want to see go down. So you might want to see an increase in a hazard reporting and a decrease in lost time injuries, for example. So a simple way to sometimes change that language is to instead focusing on lead and lag is to focus on positive, so trending up, negative, trending down. And often what you're chasing is one trends up, the other trends down. What we'd also encourage you to do is to keep it simple. So look at your current metrics within your organization. And if you're gonna add new ones, don't add a bunch at a time. Maybe look at one, maybe look at two and have a really good story as to what you're trying to achieve around those. Lead indicator metrics should drive action. So where a lot of lag indicators are measuring, again, things that have taken place, what we're looking for in lead, uh, lead indicators is things that people can focus on uh, that can be tracked and, and again should drive action and track up a bit like uh, on a scoreboard in a football game you know if we score more tries that that number tracks up so it would be things like you know amount of you know, supervisional conversations inside or it might be number of near miss reports or it might be uh, any range of other lead indicators that we'll talk about before but what those metrics should be attached to is the types of actions and behaviors that we want people to do more of. Uh, we want to make it measurable and review it regularly. So the other part of this is consider what we will measure and, and how we will review it. Um, and when you start to get up the maturity curve here a little bit, you start moving from a, a quantity measure to a capacity and capability metric. And that's possibly where it does get a little bit trickier because uh, yeah, quantitative metrics are only going to get you so far before you want to actually move to quality. So how if, like it's one thing to measure number of infield, say, observations we complete. It's a completely different thing to measure the effectiveness and impactful of those. So we got to think outside the box a little bit for those. And lastly, with whatever we're measuring, we want to keep it 
keep it uh, up front and center. We want to make it visible so people know whether they're winning or losing. So watching sporting games without a scoreboard isn't particularly entertaining or, or useful. And the same thing goes for measuring these indicators. And I'll talk to you about uh, an example of a dashboard a little bit later on. So considerations in developing lead indicators. So what we'd be encouraging you to think about is what does your current lag indicator data tell you and what are the gaps in the story? So how, and then how do those lead indicators potentially plug those gaps? Uh, what can inform this is what our incident data is telling us. So what are the com common weak signals across these? What activities can you implement to support uh, identifying these weak signals? So again, uh, an, another organization we worked with recently where we looked at their incident data with them we identified that incidents occurred at a particular time of the day with a particular, with a lower level of supervision without a, a particular person taking ownership for setting that project up. So that gave some really clear focus areas in terms of how to reduce that risk profile within those particular types of pieces of work. The next one is here, what are your people telling you? So what is the perceptions of your leaders and your your leader safety systems. So having a conversation with your workforce, with your leaders and understanding what's helping or hindering them in, in driving positive safety behaviors and getting a positive safety outcome becomes a really uh, important engagement piece. And then finally, um, you know, looking at, looking, at looking at the quality of your metrics and then making sure that you've got the basics of those metrics set up to tell you the right, the right story. Okay, so there's some foundations, but how do we actually go about you know, creating that the, the drive for these outcomes? How do we create a successful uh, implementation of lead indicators? So what we'd suggest is that there's some really important uh, cultural drives that will determine how successfully you can transition to focusing on lead indicators. The first one here is having a clear organizational vision in place that is communicated well by leadership. So what we've found is that in more mature organizations, uh, organizations that uh, are further up the maturity curve that I'm gonna share in a moment and that are more able to get successful and sustained uh, positive safety outcomes, they focus heavily on having a clear organizational vision in place that is communicated well by leadership and has some tangible uh, targets set around it. Uh, supporting that is strong leadership engagement. So th those leaders are not only uh, have a clear vision that they're bought into, but they've been skilled up to have the capacity and the capabilities to lead and drive the safe work, uh, safe work actions uh, within the organization. The next one is there are systems in place that support safe work. So where organizations aren't doing this particularly well, they tend to have uh, a lot of actual practical barriers uh, to people engaging in positive behaviors that they're asking them to engage with more. And then finally, uh, organizations who do this well, take careful, uh, take, uh, are careful to consider their reward and recognition processes. So there's, there's some real challenges attached with associating uh, financial rewards to lag metrics. Um, and you also need to be wary of lead metrics as well as it can complete compliance rather than a culture of curiosity or continuous improvement. So what we would be really challenging to think about is when you set safety targets, if you do, and if you do attach um, commercial rewards to those, 
take some time to engage with your workforce um, in some open conversation about, well, if we were to do this, what would be the helpful behaviours that it would drive and what would be the less helpful behaviours that it would drive. The other big component of this with metrics and with culture as a whole is, uh, and again, this is, I think, part of the conversation with this, is it's really not a set and forget kind of model. What we would find in the organisations that we're working with is depending on your level of organisational maturity, you will have very different uh, requirements when it comes to, to setting uh, lead indicators. So at counterproductive, you've got an organisation that uh, where people perceive that no one can that the leaders in the organisation doesn't care about safety. So they're very much in the same space. That's a very different uh, type of culture to one that's up at citizenship where the company's safety is core part of everyone's job. So as we mature up the curve, we typically tend to see more transactional metrics up to uh, and more um, quantitative metrics up to more qualitative metrics where you've got uh, you know, positive safety initiatives that are run from the field and, and safety suggestion mechanisms that, that tend to get played out. The, the aspiration that we work with organisations on typically is uh, safety citizenship. So safety citizenship behaviours look like going above and beyond for, going above and beyond basic compliance, identifying opportunities to improve safety, uh, creating a willingness to discuss safety concerns with leaders and teammates, uh, looking at voluntary memberships of safety committees, actively engaging with safety initiatives, keeping informed with the latest safety challenges on site and monitoring safety performance of team members to ensure everyone is working safely. You can also measure things like, and I think one of the indicators that was measured before was uh, pre-start meetings, you know, you can do things like measure the amount of activity and engagement, you can survey people to see how effective and useful they're finding those sessions. Uh, I guess defining what, what good looks like, you can start to, to measure and track uh, how effective they are. So again, depending on where an organisation's at and the particular areas of focus, they're the typical things that we would be looking at. And all of these things are, are quite measurable in their own way. And under-reporting, for example, with this willingness to discuss safety concerns, maybe maybe one of those. So some of the typical lead indicators that we see organisations roll out are on the screen here. Um, so it's less about those and more about where's your organisation at, how do you bring them to life? So again, if we can identify what the goal is, identify and act on the lead measure, keep a score of how we're going and create a cadence of accountability, they're the critical elements to, to driving that success. So as you consider this for your organisation, what we'd encourage you to think about is um, review how you reward and recognise safety, uh, agree on the role safety plays in helping the organisation achieve its objectives. So how does a safe outcome drive our, the organisational objectives that we've set? We want to get clear on our risk profile. So if we can be clear about what our critical risks within the organisation are, if we get clear about what the circumstances and conditions around those taking place are, we can start to set up uh, positive lead indicators attached to that quite practically. Uh, we can look at patterns of past incidents and, and theorise potential interventions. So again, uh, what we'd encourage you to do is to get into your data, look for trends, look for themes and have a go um, at, at some different activities and then measure and track how they impact on things. Uh, different, different stages of your maturity and different initiatives will require either qualitative or quantitative metrics. 
Uh, we can be clear about the process of data. You need to be clear about the process of data collecting. So if you're gonna set a lead indicator, how are people gonna report on that? How do we make it as easy and engaging as possible? And how do we use that data to tell a story that informs positive action? And then finally, the final two are think about your scoreboard and how it's tracked. And then we want to obviously celebrate success when we're achieving, our, uh, achieving those lead indicators. What I thought I'd do as a next step of this to sort of bring this to life a little bit is uh, share a dashboard which comes up actually on my Facebook every single day. Uh, and it's one that we're probably all going to be paying close attention to our, in our own states. Uh, and I'm not offering any political views attached to this whatsoever, purely looking at this from a, what sort of behaviours and what sort of focus are we trying to drive. But popping up on my, my uh, Facebook today was the COVID dashboard uh, for, that came up by Queensland Health that tells us how we're going from a, from a COVID perspective. As you can see here, the big focus uh, on this dashboard, where your eye is naturally drawn to, is the cases today. And then that, that pushes down into your locally acquired, your overseas acquired and other sources. It talks about active cases, um, total cases. Um, you've got the number of tests that are completed. Uh, and then you've got the number of vaccinations. I guess if, if you're thinking about this from a lead and a lag indicator perspective, um, I would view uh, a lot of the metrics that are at the top of this dashboard as the lag, the lag data, and a lot of the metrics at the at the bottom of this dashboard as the lead indicator. And Queensland hasn't painted probably as uh, as much of a clear roadmap to what's going to happen uh, to return things to some sort of post-COVID normality as as Sydney, uh, as New South Wales and Victoria have. But for mine, some of the challenges with this dashboard is a lot of this is focused on. Uh, I guess, what the things that we want to avoid again. So we want to have less cases, we want to have less active cases, want to have less uh, lives lost. What I would like to see this dashboard focus more on, if we want to, yeah, again, without getting political here, is if we believe that vaccines are one way, uh, that we, vaccines and tests are ways to keep ourselves uh, and people in the community safe, how do we pull that to the top of the focus and how do we have that data tell a me more meaningful story that lets us know whether we're on track or not. So um, if I look at total vaccines by Queensland Health to date, 1 million, uh, yeah, 1.8 million vaccines. What does that actually mean? What percentage of the uh, community is that? Is that one or two shots, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, with the 23,000, yep, that, that seems like a lot. Is it a lot? How does that sit against targets? Uh, what would we like to be achieving you know, if we've got a particular uh, goal in mind? Same thing with these tests achieved. You know, is that a good number or a bad number, the 11,000? Uh, and you know, that, that, 4 million, that 4 million tests, what, not sure what value that creates in terms of driving the sorts of behaviours that we want to see more of. So again, with this dashboard, it'd be really uh, useful, I think, uh, you know, if we're getting clear about what are our objectives, what are our visions for Queensland when it comes to COVID, uh, and then how do we use this, these metrics to actually engage people uh, in the community and in Queensland to drive those, those positive uh, sort of behaviours that, that the government is saying are good for us in, in terms of the vaccines and, and, the, and the tests. So. Again, I just want to take an example that perhaps we can all relate to being in, a, in this COVID world. 
Um, but that's an example where uh, I think thinking about what you're trying to achieve as an organisation, thinking about your current lead and lag indicators and thinking about the behaviours you want to drive more of and how that's reported and how that's tracked becomes, becomes really important. So uh, I'm going to create an opportunity now to ask some questions because we often have a number of questions come through in relation to this topic. Uh, and I've actually got one that's come through already. So we've got Cameron here who said, we have near misses as a lead indicator. Not sure if that is wrong or right, but our reasoning for this is uh, just like reporting a hazard or safety observation, the reporting of this allows action to improve uh, before a lag event occurs. Yeah, 100%, Cameron. I would agree that lead indicator, uh, like hazard reporting would be a positive lead indicator. Uh, we often find that organisations that have uh, increasing amounts of uh, lead indicator reporting generally have less um, under-reporting, which, uh, which is an issue that a lot of organisations want to address. Uh, and it, it can often be indicative of other positive aspects of the organisation, such as the amount of trust that people feel within the organisation. So I'd be really, I think near misreporting is, is really possible, uh, is really positive. What I'd also be encouraging to consider is, all right, what's been done with that near misreporting? What trends and themes can we find? And how do we, how do we reconnect that back into the organisation uh, to share those learnings and to show that that data is being used in an effective way? So that's a great, great question. Any other questions that anyone has, feel free to, to bring them through. Um, just having a look at the, the chat. Uh, yep, so no, no, uh, here we go. Here's one from Michael, difficulty shows with causation and contract labor don't report through fear of losing. Yeah, contract labour don't report for fear of losing work. I agree. I think this is part of the challenge of focusing on predominantly lost time injury frequency rates is that uh, because they become a, a critical metric to keep work and, and often if those injuries and incidents occur, it becomes a very oppositional conversation. And yeah, yeah, uh, contractors are um, or yeah, are very highly motivated in those instances if they want to keep the work to, to bury those incidents. What would one metric that you believe that every organisation should report? Um, look, I think what we would typically be encouraging organisations to consider is, uh, and I'm not going to answer that with a couple, I think your hazard reporting is really, is really important. So actually getting that information in and seeing that it's tracking in a positive direction is really important. I think obviously we want to record incidents that happen, but where a lot of organisations aren't focusing at the moment is looking at the potential of incidents as well as, um, as, well as the actual result of those incidents. So what we're finding in the organisations that we're working with is as many as 30, 35% of incidents uh, where, where organisations are looking at potential are being miscategorised. And that means that we're missing uh, sometimes missing the opportunity to address uh, those serious injury and fatality events proactively. Uh, are there any lead indicators that can be that can clearly indicate how effective your systems are at managing risk? Oh, look, um, 
I think what we would typically look at in this regard, Martin, would be um, a lot of the information that we get from the workforce about how effectively, uh, how, how easily people can engage with the system. Is it a barrier to actually reporting uh, data? And then also looking at how is, you know, how effectively, how effectively does that system facilitate the closing out of actions and the driving of learnings throughout the organisation? So I, I think when it comes to you know, how effective your system is, it it's probably comes down to what are you trying to get it to do? So are you trying to drive people to report more? So does it facilitate that? Are you trying to get better insights and outcomes? Does it facilitate that? Um, you know, does the information help inform positive actions throughout the organisation? Does it inform that? What else have we got here? Just making, getting my head around this. What is the best way to convince the board slash leadership to change the indicators uh, instead of Trifa? Okay, really good question, Adam, because this is often where the biggest stuck occurs because we're, we're sort of getting to the executive level and they're going, we know these things don't necessarily make sense. They don't tell a complete story. Um, but the board's asking for this metric. So that's where we keep on going back to. I think, Adam, it's about giving those board members an opportunity to see the world a little bit differently. So feel free to share this webinar and these resources with them. But often boards will, you know, this, they might not have a background in safety. They might not have a deep expertise in the space. They might not actually know what they don't know. So helping them to unpack what, what Triffa tells, what, what the other... Um, uh, information their data tells, helping them understand, I guess, some of their legal obligations as well and, and how TRIFA does or does not tie to those legal obligations or become, I think, a, an important part of the conversation. So uh, education is what I'm seeing as a big piece and then offering up alternates and, and, and driving that into the operating rhythm also becomes really important. I uh, got one here from Michael. Can we attach incentives to the thing we want to encourage, such as pre-start participation, uh, incident reporting, rather than incident-free stats? Yeah, look, we can. Um, so there's a couple of ways you could potentially tackle that. You can attach it to activities, or you could. Uh, what we see some organisations do is make it more of a values or vision-based thing. So you know, implementing peer-on-peer um, -peer reward systems where it's like, hey, Joe Bloggs um, uh, you know, displayed these positive safety behaviours in this regard and this is reflective of our values in this way. Um, so this is where you can actually start to talk about yeah, as much as the actual activities, like the types of behaviours that you want to see more of within the organisation and creating opportunities to showcase those behaviours and talk about how that impacts on the vision and the organisational outcomes. So, um, again, some organisations are uncomfortable about that, often because they don't, might not necessarily have a really good safety vision or really ingrained safety values, but we'd be encouraging uh, that you consider those as part of getting alignment across your organisation. Okay, what are those metrics that measure capacity? Uh, look, that's a very, very tricky one. Um, uh, this is where I think um, a lot of the, the conversation around safety differently comes into play, where um, a lot of the safety differently um, talk would talk about 
Um, you can't really measure capacity because it's something that some, some, some people build with training and, and those types of things. So, and in fact, by measuring it, you're not really measuring capacity itself. You, so you sort of get stuck in a, in a, circular, in a circular argument. Um, so I guess what I'd be thinking about, James, is how do you identify the, the capabilities or the capacity you want to have within your organisation um, as, as a starting point um, and then worry about measuring it later on? I, th I think just getting clear about your capacity, first of all, becomes a really important part. Um, and there's some really good stuff in the Safety Differently space. It's probably a whole nother, a whole nother webinar for that. Um, would you consider safety training as a good lead indicator, either compliance training or development training? Uh, yeah, look, it, it depends on the quality of the safety training. Just because you attend safety training doesn't mean that it's good safety training. So we'd be looking at the concept of training transfer. So um, how, how much, um, how confident people feel how, how capable do people feel that they can apply the learnings from the training once they go back out into the field and then looking at, all right, well, how do we potentially go out there and observe some of that? So maybe you give some pre-start training um, and then is there a way that you can, or there are ways you can go out and observe that pre-start training and see the transfer of training skills. Maybe it's a matter of participation from the work group, you know, um, those, those types of things. So there's checklists and things that you can provide around that, that and take that in more of a coaching, a coaching angle. Uh, does reporting hazards work? I've been in an organisation where you had to have at least five hazard reports a day from your work group. Most of these were very low consequence. Okay, so this is where, again, setting targets around things can be sometimes unhelpful. Um, so positive intent, right intent, but not necessarily effective execution. Um, so I think educating people more on the why and the what's in it for me and why it's important to report hazards and then showing a closeout loop would be would be the more important thing than saying we have to report five a day. Uh, because yeah, if you report five a day, you'll get five. If you have KPI five a day, you'll get five a day, but you end up sorting through a bunch of rubbish reporting essentially. And that just creates further cynicism and, and gives a sense that safety is a, is a box ticking exercise. Uh, finally, which are the good ones, uh, which are good for an organization, which are the good for an organization leading or lagging indicator? I'm not sure, Rajesh, uh, what your question is specifically there. So if you could retype that one, I'd be happy to, happy to answer it. There's a few um, chat um, comments, Anthony. Okay, great. Um, leading code inspection, senior management frontline workers, both important more than the other. Uh, okay, so lead indicator inspection, senior managers or frontline workers, both are important, but one is more important than the other. Okay, which one generates more positive safety culture? Um, look, I, again, I think this is possibly a little bit dependent on where your organisation is at and where the potential hotspots are. So uh, we, we collect a lot of culture data from across a range of different industries. And we recently identified, um, we recently report, uh, released a report that specifically focused on utilities. And utilities are identified that there was a significant disconnect from senior management and the front line. 
uh, or a perceived disconnect from the senior management, the front line. So in that instance, what we would be, and, and then as a result of that, there was a sense that one didn't understand the other. So in that instance, what we would be suggesting is looking for ways for senior managers to connect to the work that's done so that they are making decisions that help the workforce feel consulted and considered would become really important. There may be other instances where uh, the, the conditions are different, different. So again, understanding the perceptions of your workforce, understanding the barriers to getting jobs done and getting some data can be, can be really useful to inform some of that. I don't know there's a hard and fast answer on that one, Graham. Um, we don't have any more questions. And we all know every time I say that, we get more. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think um, you've covered quite a lot here, Anthony. Um, what about these other polls? Yeah, great. So um, thanks, Sarah. So just as we wrap up for today, a uh, couple of quick options um, for people to dial into if they would like to. So this first uh, option is to dial into an executive roundtable. So we've run a couple of these now and they've been really well received and it gives us an opportunity to, to sit with your peers across a range of different organisations and to, and to network uh, and to, to work on a joint problem together. So this particular problem or opportunity for a discussion is to, um, on using technology to enable an engaged workforce. So what, uh, what we'll be discussing in that webinar is sharing learnings around, or sorry, not webinar, in that roundtable is uh, sharing uh, examples from across industry about how people are using technology to, to create positive safety cultures, to, to gather, to collect information, either, even to, to, to help report around lead indicator information and, and things like that, that, we, that we've discussed today. So a great opportunity, as I said, to discuss uh, what's a very topical, subject, particularly in this COVID, COVID landscape where we're relying more on technology than ever, potentially. So if you've got interest in that, uh, please select yes, and one of our team will uh, get in contact with you uh, to set you up for that session. Okay. <clears throat> Another one. Great. And then the final one here is if you're interested in understanding more about our approach to improving safety cultures, our psychology-based approach, you can have access to our Zip Essentials safety the psychology of safety uh, online module. So in that module, you get some really rich content that talks about uh, further helping you understand safety citizenship and how attitudes uh, drive behaviours and then drive results when it comes to safety. So uh, encourage you to jump on that. Uh, again, click yes if that's something of interest and you can further, uh, uh, further understand the psychology of safety. <clears throat> All right. Okay, well, um, we haven't uh, we've come to the end of the session, I think. Um, so, Anthony, once again, thank you very much for joining us today. Hopefully we'll see you again soon. Great. Thank you, Sarah, and thank you all, and uh, thank you for investing this time on a really important topic. Great. Thank you. I'll just give people a couple more seconds to finish that third poll. No problem. Um, otherwise, have a great week. Thank you.